Hebrews 11, verses 11 and 12. As we look through this great roll call of faith, we come to Sarah. So Hebrews 11, verses 11 and 12, tells us, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him, as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to to speak your word. We pray that Only your truth will be taught this morning. I pray that you would uh, work in me. May my lips speak your words. Uh, Be with those that are listening. Help us to see what true faith is and help us to increase that faith, Lord. I pray that if anyone does not have the saving faith that we'll talk about today, that you would use this to help draw them to you, God. And most of all, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God who is faithful. And because of that, we can put our trust in you. We say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So through this series, obviously we'll be talking a lot about faith. Faith is crucial in our relationship with God, and that makes sense. Uh, If you consider it's, it's probably a lot easier to have a relationship with somebody that you actually believe exists. If you didn't, it'd be kind of hard to get to know that person. But what is it? What does it mean when we talk about faith? It's it's a word that is used in Christian circles a lot, especially, and I think it's one that we're mostly familiar with. But it's easy to to say it and not have a, a true grasp of what we're talking about. So let me give you a working definition. Faith is a belief and a conviction about something or someone that leads to action. Simply put, it's a belief in something that leads you to do something else. That's why James 2 tells us that faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That doesn't mean that in order to uh, truly follow God, in order to be saved, as we say, that you have to do good works. We'll see today that those good works follow that faith. But faith is something that leads to action. Let me give you an analogy. If you were in the hospital and you were given two weeks to live, but the doctor came to you and said, good news, we've done the diagnosis, Diagnosis. we've tested you. That's the word, right? We've tested you, and it looks like this new treatment is going to be all that you need. If you will take this pill one day every morning for the next two weeks, you're not going to die. If you say, that's great news, thank you so much, I trust you, and then you go on the next two weeks and you never take the pill, that's not faith, right? I'm not suggesting that God is a pill that we take. At some point, the analogy does break down. But if we have faith in what the doctor is telling us, then that next morning, we're going to take the pill, right? That's faith moving into action, Saving faith in the same way leads to repentance and serving the God that has called us. 
This faith is uh, what's being discussed here throughout uh, Hebrews 11. And let me pose a question to you about that. We're, we're talking about many great figures here. Noah, Moses, Abraham. Uh, today we're talking about Sarah. Do you think it's possible for us to have the same faith as Sarah? I mean, Sarah, we're told here, though she had, uh, was unable to have children, and though she was much too old to have children, as was her husband, by faith God gave her the power to conceive. And then we see, as we'll look throughout here, that that faith leads on to future promises about a Savior, about an eternity with that Savior and a relationship with Him. Is it possible for us to share and have that same faith as Sarah? Hopefully so, because this faith does many things. As I've said, it's a saving faith. It looks, uh, the faith that we see here in Sarah is one that looks in two places. It looks in our present circumstances. She had a, her whole life, she had a very present desire to have children, and she could not. Uh, Abraham too, had been given a promise that he was ha- going to have descendants and that the descendants would come through Sarah, and yet she never had children. So it's looking, that, that faith is looking to our present circumstances, but we also see here in the text of Hebrews that it looks to the future, to our ultimate future with the God who has created us. We're going to see that Sarah had this faith, and I'm going to submit to you that that is the same faith that we share with her. And hopefully you'll see that with me as we go through the text. God uses the belief and the conviction to make us his own. We see here in the verses I just read that through it, Sarah was given the power to conceive. How? Verse 11 tells us it was by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive. It tells us that she considered him faithful. God is faithful. When he has promised something, God delivers something every time. Uh, interesting thing about Sarah, and if I'm honest about most of the people that are listed here in Hebrews, uh, she's not the first person I would think about. If, I were, if God had asked me, Scott, would you be willing to write the book of Hebrews? Um, Unfortunately, he didn't, but if he had, I probably wouldn't have thought of Sarah as one of the first people to mention in here, because it's very easy to look at her life and examine it, and you see many, many flaws, and you see several times where she acts, and along with Abraham, where they act out of fear, it seems, more than out of faith. Now, we do know in spite of what we're going to see in Genesis today, we do know that she did trust God. She did consider him faithful. Uh, we know that because, well, she's mentioned here in Hebrews as, a, as one of the great examples of faith. We also will see that uh, because of her faith, God answered her, his promise to her that she would have the child. So why is she included in this? Hebrews 11.6 uh, is a verse that uh, ties into each one of these people. Actually, the entire book, chapter of Hebrews 11, you can go to any of these verses and apply them to each of the people mentioned here. Verse 6 tells us, And without faith, 
It is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So here's the argument. Anything that pleases God comes from faith. This is what Joshua uh, preached a couple of Sundays ago. Anything that pleases God is from faith. So we can see by that in reverse, anything that displeases him must not have come from faith. God blessed Sarah with the son, so Sarah must have pleased God. Therefore, Sarah had faith. And she's included here in Hebrews 11 because without faith, it is impossible to please God. God had promised uh, several times throughout, uh, throughout the book of Genesis to Abraham and to Sarah that he was going to give them a place and a people. He was going to give them innumerable descendants. It tells us here in Hebrews and scattered throughout Genesis that those descendants would be uh, as many as the stars in the heavens or as the sands on the seashore. And yet at this time... Abraham was a hundred years old. And they lived a little bit longer back in these days, but how many hundred-year-old people do you know that have had, had children? How about Sarah? She was uh, 90, 91, depending on where you look at it. She was this old when this happened, this old when this happened, and there's a few months that it could be, but 90, 91. I don't know of many 90-year-old mothers, new mothers, first-time mothers, for sure. Nobody could mistake that it was God that was responsible for this. Even if they weren't that old, she was childless her whole life. And they tried. She could not have children. She was, she was barren. So a barren 90-year-old woman with a 100-year-old man, a true miracle that Isaac was born to them. You see, with God, there is nothing impossible when he wants to do something. So this is that present faith I talked about in their present circumstances. And also, it's going to point to a future faith. Uh, You see that, just the next verse in Hebrews here, verse 13. It says, these all died in faith. And he's talking about each of the people mentioned in Hebrews. You could insert Sarah in there as well. Sarah died in faith, not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And we'll pick up that thought a little bit later, looking at the end of, of Hebrews. How can the author say that she died in faith not having received what she was promised? She received the son that she was promised, right? And that's where we see that God is moving with us in our, in our current circumstances And he's also working with us uh, to redeem us and to glorify us when he comes back and and calls us as his own. Uh, This future promise is pointing to a future time that we also have not yet seen. So let's see how that works out in in Sarah's life. God's promises to both Sarah and Abraham. We're going to move over into Genesis and feel free to, to follow along and or just listen uh, a lot of these verses in Genesis I'm going to read, and some of them I'm just going to point out, here's where the story is. 
Uh, many of you are going through our Bible reading plan, and you've probably read through these recently, hopefully. But at the end of Genesis 11 is where we see Sarah mentioned first time. Let me just point out, in case there's any confusion, uh, the text here calls her Sarai, just like it calls Abraham, Abram. Uh, those were their names at birth, and then later on in Genesis, God gives them their covenant name. He, he changes their name as a sign of the covenant that he is fulfilling and making with them. So I've chosen to go ahead as much as I can and call her Sarah instead of Sarai, as well as Abraham instead of Abram. Although the t- when the text will say Sarai, and I might slip up because... That's what the text says. No, of course, this is the same person. Now, the first thing that we learn about her in in the end of Genesis 11, after we learn about her marriage to Abraham, is that she's barren. And being barren, being unable to have a child, is a very painful thing. Uh, Today, uh, I know of women, I know of uh, some in my family who wanted to have children could not have children, and it was a, uh, just an emotional weight on them their, their entire lives. And in this culture, if anything, it's, it's more important that they have children, and not just children, but a, a son, if at all possible. So it's a very present need throughout her life. Then you move into... Uh, chapter 12, and then we see the call given to Abraham. I'm not going to read it, but that's there in, in uh, the first three verses of chapter 12. And though Sarah's not mentioned here specifically, we see through the narrative that Sarah is the one that God had chosen to make his promise fulfilled through here. So this call to Abraham is also a call to Sarah. And at this point in their lives, it probably doesn't seem... Uh, like too much of a, uh, of a miracle. Now, she's barren. She's not been, able to un- to, not been able to have children. So, of course, they know that God has to do something in their lives. But you know, we're not up to the 90 or 100-year-old version of them just yet. Uh, they're told that all the families of the earth would be blessed by them. That prophecy is fulfilled through... Sarah and Abraham's descendants. Uh, they, they went on to have, uh, those descendants went on to, you know, there's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, on down to David, uh, the king, and then on down eventually to the ultimate king, Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, that promise of all the families of earth being blessed is fulfilled. And so they leave their home and are told to head towards Canaan. And so they take their families, Abraham, Sarah, Lot, their, their, their families all, all go. And eventually, still here in chapter 12 of, of Genesis, they find famine in the land. Because there's famine, because there's no food, they head down towards Egypt. And here we see the first example of what I would call a shortcoming. Let me read to you Genesis 12, uh, starting in verse 11. When he, Abraham, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. 
then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abraham entered, when Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. So God has promised them descendants. You can't have descendants if you're dead. And Abraham is afraid that they're going to kill him so that they can take his wife because she was, she was very, very beautiful. So, so they lie about this. She was, in fact, sent to Pharaoh. And, and here's where I see them acting out of it. Even though he was right that they wanted her wife, we see him and her both acting out of fear rather than in faith in God that he is going to, not, not going to be able to help them out in this situation. And in fact, even though they are not being truthful with Pharaoh and with his house, God does protect them in the situation. And even though that happens, we, we won't read the second time, but in Genesis chapter 12 and with Abimech, it happens again. Uh, so it's a pattern. In fact, if you look uh, in Isaac's life, it seems to run in the family because he does the same thing. God sends plagues to Pharaoh. He doesn't want Sarah to be defiled. So in verses 17 through 20 here, It says, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? You see, there are almost more integrity with him than with the two of them at this point. He says, Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her. And go. So God protects them in spite of their fear in this. It is worth noting in Genesis 20 when he does this again, he says, Well, we do have the same mother, so technically she's my half sister, so technically I told you the truth. At, any parents in here, does that sound like a really good excuse? You know, I technically told you the truth, even though what I said wasn't actually truthful. This is before the Ten Commandments are given, but we do know that God writes His law on our hearts. And even uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians knew that what they were doing was wrong. So what, what do we do with that? We know that through this and through the other things that happen in their lives, we know that God draws them from this place of fear into a place of faith. He can do the same for us, by the way. I know that we have in our present circumstances, a lot of us, things that we are struggling with, things that we don't understand why we're having to go through these uh, hard times, through these valleys. Know that God can take us from that place of fear to a place of faith as well. So throughout Genesis, God's promise is repeated to them. Abraham, you're going to have descendants. This land is going to be given to your offspring. And yet, nothing seemed to be be happening. Sarah still could not have children. 
and we come to Genesis chapter 15, where we know that Abraham is crying out to God. I'm always very careful when I you know, say something that is, is pure speculation. This is pure speculation, but I imagine that Sarah also would have prayed to God several times as well. Uh, but certainly Abraham cries out to him in verse 2 of chapter 15, and he says, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And again, we're not told Sarah's feelings, but if Abraham is lamenting that he has no child, I don't think it's a stretch to say that Sarah was doing the same. In fact, the next chapter warrants this. But then God again reminds them of the promise. And then we come to a marvelous thing. And this is something that's going to begin to answer the question I gave to you. This is, can we share in Abraham's faith? Do we have the same faith as Sarah? What happens here in verse 6 of chapter 15 very simply put, it says, uh, talking about Abraham, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Saving faith brings about righteousness in our lives. Now, this verse is very important. It's, well, I would contend that every verse in the Bible is very important. Uh, but this one is quoted in Romans and Galatians and James. I mentioned James at the beginning of the sermon. It's very interesting there. This is where we're taught that faith without works is dead. Uh, it's a very important message there, but it's one that is often misconstrued, sometimes purposefully, sometimes mistakenly. It's often done to teach that you are saved because of what you do rather than because of what God has done in you. James 2.17 tells us, So faith also, if it does not have works, is dead. Very, very simply put. Remember that faith, though, is a belief and, an, uh, and a conviction that leads to action. If you move on in, in James up to verse 21, it says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. That takes place in Genesis 22. And, and people read James and say, aha, you see, he was justified because he was willing to offer Isaac. But then it goes on and says, you see that faith was active along with his work and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled from Genesis 15. that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called as a friend of God. So what you see, when, when, does, when is Abraham called righteous? Genesis 15, when he believes. When does he do the work? Genesis 22, when he offers up Isaac on, on the altar. Now, with, with apologies to um, the next sermon, preaching through Abraham, uh, this is very important because this is true of each of us. And it's true of Sarah uh, as well. The faith comes first, the action comes second. So that's what it has to do with Sarah. And it can help answer our question about our faith. 
saving faith, meaning, meaning faith that draws us into a relationship with God, faith that perseveres, is followed by action. And the object of that faith, which is also very important, the object of that faith is always God. And it's the same God. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is the God that we serve today as well. It's the God that answered Sarah's uh, prayer. It's the God that gave Sarah what he promised. And he is the God, the same God, that draws us to him and answers our prayers as well. So with that, and recognizing that we're having the same faith, at least action, and that faith in the same God, we come to chapter 16 in Genesis. And Sarah is still barren here. Now, this is the same woman, we must note, that is eventually going to have a child through the power of her faith. But at this point, she decides to give God a bit of a helping hand. She tells him, uh, tells Abraham to take her servant Hagar and to sleep with her. And maybe, she says, God will give me children through Hagar. She's trying to bring about the, the promise on her own since God doesn't seem to be moving, he thinks. Now, this is not the sermon to go down this too far, but I will note that this is poss- probably the first example in the Bible of the fallacy that God helps those that help themselves. I, I give you a moment to turn in your Bibles to where it says God helps those that help themselves. We'd be here for a while because it's not there. The truth of the Bible is that God helps those, helps us, because we cannot help ourselves. The problem with us knowing God and having a relationship with Him, it's not that we're a little bit dirty. It's not that we've done a few things wrong and we just need to turn our lives around, get cleaned up, and then we'll be um, spiritually fit to, to go to heaven, spiritually fit to, to, know, to know God. The problem is that we're dead. The Bible describes us as spiritually dead apart from Christ. I'm going to read some verses very quickly here to, to illustrate that. The first part of Ephesians 2, verse 1 tells us, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We weren't dirty. We weren't uh, misunderstood. We weren't uh, just ignorant. We, we were dead. Verse 4 then picks it up and says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And then we come to the often quoted uh, part of that passage in verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the free gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So the takeaways from here is that, first off, as I said, it's not that we're not good enough. We're dead. So that is a miracle that takes place at, sal- at salvation when God causes us to be reborn. He gives us new life. 
And then we see here as well that God saves us from our sin, from our spiritual death. Not because we deserve it, not because we've done good, good enough works. He does it because he is gracious. Draws us into a relationship with him. We see it is an undeserved gift. The only thing on our part is the faith. And even that faith, it says, the Spirit gives it to us. And we know, to tie this back in to Sarah, we know that she came to have that same faith. It's encouraging. Um, I don't always do audience participation in my sermons, very rarely, but raise your hand if you've never made a mistake. Okay, not even in the back. We make mistakes, even after we've been saved, that God is gracious uh, to forgive us of our sins and to draw us into that relationship I keep talking about. And he did the same with Sarah. So let's pick up the pace here. Uh, Genesis 17, where we're getting, uh, drawing close to where she has the child. But in Genesis 17, God again confirms his covenant with, with, with uh, Abraham, and he changes their name. So this is where the Bible stops referring to them as Sarah or Sarai and Abram. And up till now, even though I've been pointing out what God is saying to Abraham, up till now, primarily the verses have been focused on Abraham. But this is where that promise is now specifically shared with Sarah. Genesis 17, 16. God says, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And Abraham's response is he laughs. It's okay, Sarah will again, will also in a, in a few chapters. But we're told here that this promise applies as much to Sarah as it does to Abraham. And that promise of all, all nations, all families being blessed will ultimately be fulfilled again, as I said, through that promise of, of Jesus Christ. So then we get to the part where Sarah gets to laugh as well. Uh, chapter 18 Men from God come to visit. I'm going to read a portion of that starting in verse 9. These men, uh, after speaking with Abraham, say, They say to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, And Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. So it's clear at some point that she did believe what God said, 
I think it's easily clear, at, at the least in that moment when she heard the news, that she didn't believe it was going to happen. Let's go to Genesis 21, and I'll, I'll sum up these verses. Uh, the first uh, seven verses or so here, God visits Sarah, and he fulfills a promise to her. She conceived and had a son. So uh, we see there that they, they tried again, and they, they had a son, and they tried again believing that they were going to have a son. Uh, verse 6 there, I'll just read that one verse. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. So both Abraham and Sarah's laugh of disbelief turned into a laugh of joy and a, a laugh of just acknowledging of what God has done. Isaac, in fact, means laughter. It's really interesting that, well, I say that they named him that um, because it means laughter. Uh, it does. God told them name him Isaac, so that's also probably a big reason why they called him Isaac. This is where we see Sarah's faith. Now, back to Hebrews 11. We read that by faith... She received the power to conceive. And remember verse 6 in Hebrews 11. It's impossible to please God without faith. You must believe, we're told, that he exists and he rewards. Sarah believed and she was rewarded in her life with the son that she had sought all her, all her life. And she will be rewarded again in glory with much more to come. God works miracles throughout the Old and New Testaments. He works them today. He's, he answers prayer. And you can take from this that we can pray to God. And there's other verses in Scripture that will illustrate this, and we're not going to, to go through them. We, we can pray to God, believing and asking Him for things in His name, in His will, and they will be given to us. But that's not what's really being discussed here. Notice that this is a specific promise given to a specific person that uh, she was going to be given a son. Maybe, I'm not saying that God won't, maybe you or someone you know wants to have a child and they can't have a child. Um, God still answers that prayer today. I'm just being careful to not say that, you know, if we ask... I've got to be very careful with that as well. I'm not saying that God is a Santa Claus, that we can make our list and he will give us whatever we want. He answers our prayers and he answers it within, within his will. Sarah received the son, but she did not receive everything that was promised just yet. She was promised descendants and that has taken place. She was promised that through, that, through one descendant all would be blessed, and that has taken place. But the better country that Hebrews talks about is still coming. And even then, there's more. And that is Sarah's story, but we need to see it's your story, and it's my story also, 
if we have saving faith. Putting our faith in God and in what he has revealed. A lot of times the question is, how, how, how does someone from the Old Testament be, become saved? They didn't have Jesus. Most of them didn't know about Jesus. But I'm not going to read it, but the very first verses of Hebrews 1 tells us that uh, in old times he revealed himself through the prophets. Today he has revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. We're saved because we put our faith in whatever he has revealed at that time. But that faith, whether it's through what the prophets taught or through what Jesus has done and said, the object of the faith is still God. In fact, the object of that faith is still Jesus. Jesus himself is God, God the Son, but perfectly God as well. So it's the same faith to all who believe. Ephesians 4, verse 4 and the next couple of verses tells us that there is one body. I can even just stop there. There's one body. There's not an Old Testament body and a New Testament body. There's one body in Christ. One body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, that Lord being Jesus. One faith, meaning that whether it's old or new, um, this side of the world, the other side of the world, tomorrow, there's one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So can you see that it's the same faith that Sarah had? In fact, can we see that in this text? I've been drawing a lot of different verses because they tie into what we're saying, but does Hebrews bear that out? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which cleans so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here it is, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's all looking to Jesus and to that relationship with him. Joshua asked a question a couple of weeks ago that has stuck with me. He said, if you could have all the riches of heaven, know that you would have eternal life, everything that's promised, and yet it would be without Jesus, would you take it? Would you want it? Hopefully the answer is no. A lot of times when we present a gospel message, we present it as... Here's the problem. Uh, if you want to be saved, do this, and you get to go to heaven. And, and sadly, a lot of times, while Jesus is brought into it as uh, the one that died on the cross and rose from the grave, it's, the focus is not on coming into communion with him. I'm going to give you a working uh, definition of heaven. Now, this is not my Greek scholar, my, my um, nearly non-existent Greek scholarship at work. This is just me giving you a way to think about it. When you see heaven as a noun, it's the place. You get to go to heaven. But when you see heaven described as an adjective, that means knowing and being in the presence of Jesus. 
Sarah believed, and so she gets to know and be in the presence of Jesus. Verse 16 in Hebrews here, chapter 11, says, But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You can read into this, God is not ashamed to be Sarah's God. And if you share the same faith, God is not ashamed to be your God or to be my God. We stumble, just like Sarah stumbled. Before we knew Christ, we're described as enmity, enemies, darkness, and death. And yet, if we believe in Jesus with the same faith, God will not be ashamed to be our God. That's the gospel. Let me give it to you. Briefly, God is holy. When, when we look, talk about sin, uh, sin is doing things that are wrong, of course, but sin is something that is contrary to the nature of God who is perfectly holy. I've heard it said that you can't have um, holiness without sin, but it's the, it's the opposite. You can't know what sinfulness is without having an object like God that is perfectly holy and good in all that he is and does. And that's great, but we are not good. We are not holy. We have sinned, doing things contrary to his nature. And we're told in the Bible that the consequences of that sin is death. But God loves us. He's merciful. He gave his son, Jesus, who was himself God. And Jesus emptied himself and he came as a man. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross, died there as a sacrifice for the sin and the death that we deserved. And he rose from the grave. And the Bible tells us that if we we confess and if we believe, there's that word, that believe, that faith. We put our faith in him. And only him. I'm not putting my faith that I've asked him to forgive me for my sins and I've... uh, And I've told him I'm going to follow him. And then I'm going to do as much good to try and convince God that I should go to heaven. That's not not faith. That's Sarah giving Abraham Hagar. Faith is believing in him and him alone as the one that will redeem us. And yes, it's the one that will allow us to have eternal life in heaven. But more importantly, it's the one that will guide us and live with us and be the closest companion that we can ever have. It's, it's God knowing us and not being ashamed by us. Our sin will be covered with the blood of Jesus. And when God looks on us, just like he saw Abraham as righteous and Sarah as righteous because she had the same faith, he'll look on us And see us as righteous as well. Because we have, at that point, the righteousness of Christ. He'll move powerfully in our lives, just as he did in Sarah's and the other people we'll see here in Hebrews. And not only will we be with him in glory, more importantly, we will be with him. And we'll be known by him. And we'll live out our eternities glorifying him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for this privilege and this opportunity to preach your word.
I pray that it will move in the hearts of those that are listening and have heard it, Lord. I pray that you will strengthen our faith, that we will not look to ourselves as trying to bring about good in our lives, but we will look to you as the one that is the author of all things that are good. We love you. We trust you. We look as you as the one who is faithful. And because of that, we long to be faithful to you as well. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.